0: Please turn your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 19, from verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, "Stand back." And they said, "This fellow came to sojourn, and he has come and he has become the judge." Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the men, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the man seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh oh no, my Lord, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold... I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, meaning little. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the, of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar, and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father, let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve or shrink from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. As both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by the father. So the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami Benamai. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. That is God's word. Join me in prayer. Oh Lord, we are trembling as we read these words. Some of the details in that passage are appalling. The ugliness of the sin is so awful. But Lord, this is your word. This is the god breathed word. The words of life, which will be profitable whoever reads it, meditates upon it, and takes it upon his heart. So we ask for your blessings. We ask that we may understand what you say to us through this text. Oh, please give us, your spirit, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of truth, the spirit of holiness, so that we may be taught by him, and we may see the sin of worldliness in all its ugliness, but also see your beauty in this text, so that we may not choose the world, but we may choose you so that our hearts will be be blessed and fed by your word. That's what we pray for in Christ's name. Please hear us, O Lord. Amen. So It's not an easy text, as I said, and I'm sure you agree with me on that. Uh, As you know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm a pastor in Hungary, in Budapest, and you also need to know that I was not raised in a Reformed church. Uh, My mother uh, became a Christian when I was about six years old, and I'm so grateful that I heard the words of the gospel from her. I became a follower of Christ about the age of 10 or 11, and shortly after that I heard the term the worldly Christian. It was in a summer camp where we had kind of a lesson, a Bible study, and I remember that the instructor told me that the worldly Christian is somebody who believes in Jesus, but whose life doesn't mirror that, who just lives a life at his ease. And, you know, it's not really a reformed answer. And something in that answer always bothered me, but I couldn't put my finger on what's the problem. And yes, the Bible speaks about worldly Christians, or better to say Compromising Christians, backsliding Christians. And Lot, the nephew of Abraham, is a prominent example in the said group. And I think if we kind of study his life, and especially chapter 19 from Genesis, we will have a much realistic and a much clearer picture of what it means to make compromises with the world. And you will see it's not a harmless picture, what I was told, that being worldly Christian means that you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven, but you can live your life at your ease. No. And from this story, I would like to draw five truths, five life lessons that Lot's life can teach us. So we enter the story at the point when the two angels arrive in Sodom. And uh, we have some background information because we know that these two men are angels. They are messengers of God who who were sent to seek out the situation in Sodom and bring destruction to the cities. And Lot meets them, greets them, and urges them rather forcefully to come under the shelter of his roof. Obviously, he knows how dangerous it is to be in the streets of Sodom during the night. We also read that Lot prepares a feast, a meal to them, just like Abraham did in the previous chapter, Lot served these strangers. But Lot's care toward these people doesn't end here. Because when the men of the city with evil evil intentions gather together and want to harm these people, these two angels, Lot goes out, confronts them, and saves his guests, even at the cost of his life and at the cost of his daughter's life. You know, there is this small detail in the text that when when Lot goes out, to meet the men of Sodom. In verse uh, verse 6, we read that Lot shut the door after him. He knew that something terrible will come, and he wanted to kind of save uh, his guests from that. So what we see uh, up to this point is that Lot, Lot didn't live a life of selfishness and self-centeredness but Lot cared for his guests cared for the defenseless and uh, if we add the sections from second peter what was read for us earlier we see even more in Lot's life because second peter chapter 2 verse 8 kind of gives us a window into Lot's heart and Lot's inner life. Because we read there that Lot was greatly distressed by the conduct of the wicked. And as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So what's clear from that passage that Lot didn't identify himself with the surrounding culture, with the surrounding corrupt world. He was not at ease with the world. He suffered from the world. And this is evident when he addresses the man of Sodom. We read in in, uh, verse 7, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. One Old Testament uh, commentator, John Curry, notes that this is a very forceful uh, call, a very forceful uh, phrase. It should be translated more like don't be wicked. He Lot clearly confronted these people. He called an evil evil an evil. It was clear for him that he needed to confront their evil intentions. And he was ridiculed for this. And this leads to our first lesson. That even if in the life of a compromising Christian, the works of grace must be evident. Even in the life of Lot, we can see the working of the Spirit. There must be some fruits. if you are a Christian. You can think of this way. If you have a magnet... You can throw your magnet into the mud. You can cover it fully with dirt, but it will still pull the metal. Likewise, the Christian character uh, must shine through even the most horrid environment. Or we can turn this truth around and say, if somebody identifies with the world fully, if somebody becomes to the world so similar that there is no trace of vexation and struggle in his life, then this man is not a Christian. If you say that you believe, but you live your own hassle free, struggle free, sacrifice free life, then you are not just like the Word, you are of the Word. The Word's influence can slow down the development of the Christ like character, but cannot terminate that. If somebody belongs to Christ, then Christ's spirit will dwell in him and work in him throughout his whole life. There were some evidences in Lot's life that he belonged to the Lord. And we can draw immediately an application from that. We so often create a false picture of the world. Sometimes we might say or think, Oh, if I could live like anybody else, How much easier it would be, how much easier it would be if I were not a Christian. But this is a straight lie. The world is not the life of freedom, and Christianity is not the life of slavery, but that's exactly the opposite. Look at Lot's life. How did he live in Sodom? How did he experience his life in Sodom? Lord suffered in Sodom. Lord was vexed in Sodom. Never received what he wanted. Never received acceptance, peace, tranquility of mind. And let this be an alarm signal to all of us who want to flirt with the world. But then our story goes on, and we, we will see how the violence of the Sodomites reap, uh, reaps its fruits. Because it turns out that the strangers were angels who came to Sodom to investigate the situation. And now there is no need for further investigation. The city's case is closed. The doom is inescapable. But we have one question. What shall we do with Lot, this odd halfling, in whose life the grace is evident, but he still lives lives among God's enemies. And the message, and that's our second lesson, is clear that even the compromising lot, even the backsliding lot is under the protection of the Lord. There is grace even for the compromising Christian. And it not only means that Lot got a secret tip that the city will be destroyed, so flee from the city. But it also means that when Lot lingers and tarries, the angels hasten him. And when he he will not go, they took him by the hand and they grab him and drive him out of the city. And even after this, when Lot argues with the Lord and wants to flee not to the hills and the mountains, but to this small little city, God doesn't desert his sand. God protect, protects his sand. God saved his sand. And I think this is beyond our depths. How would we react to the Christian who doesn't want to follow the Lord's clear commands? If the Lord repeats him again and again and he doesn't want to follow, what would we say to him? Maybe we would say, Oh Lord, let him. He doesn't want to come. Let him die there. But that, this is not our Lord's doing. God saved Lot. And I know it's very easy to misinterpret this passage this passage and this message at this point. Because you might say, oh, then worldliness is not a so big deal because God will save you. But that's not the point I want to make. My point I don't want to draw your attention to Lot and his tardiness, but I do want to turn your attention to Lot's saving God. The grace of God is not meant to set you at ease with your sin, but the grace of God speaks to your heart. How marvelous, gracious, and loving God we have. He is the God who didn't spare his own son, but gave him for our filthy lives. This story magnifies God's grace for us. He is a God who will not desert you. He, will, he is a God who will not forsake you. He is a God you can trust. He is a God who will be with you even at the ruins of your life. He will not break your covenant with you. With him, you can start your life anew. Because nobody can pluck you out of his hand. He is with you now and always. And he will lead you in glory if you belong to him. And if that's not grace, I don't know what grace is. This is the goodness, the covenant of faithfulness, the love of our triune God. And this love calls us to repent. We do not repent to earn our way to heaven We do repent because we want a relationship with this loving and wonderful God. We want to be reconciled to this God. We want to live a life that's in relationship with him and not with the world. So our story, again, goes on. And uh, we come to our third lesson because we will see the tragedy of Lot's life, because his life was a series of compromises that caused uh, his downfall. Uh, For me, it's so telling that moment when there are only seconds left till the destruction of the city. The angels urge him, flee to the mountains, go up to the mountains, Uh, flee for your life. And what does? Lot do he lingers and he said to them, Oh no, my lord, oh no, my lords, behold your servant has found favour in your sight. Can I flee to this city? It's not a little one, he asks. And so Zoar was named the little one. And this is this speaks about the tragedy of Lot the unending series of compromises. He doesn't want to follow clearly what the Lord told him to do, but he wants something else. He wants what he would like, what he desires, and not what the Lord commanded him. And this attitude characterized Lot from the beginning. If you go back to chapter 13 in the book of Genesis, we see when... uh, Abraham's and Lot's cattle were so numerous that they needed to split. And Abraham, though he was the older, offered Lot the right to choose. And you know what Lot cho- chose. In uh, chapter 13, verse 10, we read that... So Genesis thirteen ten, we read that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zohar. So Lot chose what he liked most. He went to the well watered uh, plains. And we might ask, was that a problem? And yes, it was, because with that decision, Lot Left Canaan. If you see verse 12 in chapter 13, we read that Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley. You see, it was a decision. God promised Abraham that I will be with you in the land of Canaan. And Lot decided to leave Canaan and to be near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the problem was that with this decision, Lot chose wealth over God's presence. Lot uh, not only chose the favorable opportunity, but he prioritized wealth over God's presence. And so we see the series of compromises in Lot's life. In chapter 13, he's heading toward Sodom. In chapter 14, we uh, we got to know that he lived in Sodom because Abraham needed to rescue him uh, when the inhabitants of Sodom uh, were taken captive. Then in chapter 19, we read that he has a wife from Sodom. His daughters are betrothed to men from Sodom. When he greets the angels at the city gates, some commentators point out that he might be a prominent man among the Sodomites. Slowly but surely, he made an ongoing series of compromises and drifted further and further away from God. And that's our lesson, our third lesson, that worldliness doesn't happen overnight. It's more like the ivy that entwines the tree slowly or a python that suffocates its victims step by step. Another breath, and he, uh, its grip tightens. This is worldliness. Instead of God and his people, you choose something else. You choose your comfort, your entertainment, a higher salary, friendship of the ungodly. It is not you who draw them into the culture of God, but it is they who will pull you in the world. You see, light put it this way. This is the way to make the edge of your feeling about sin become blunt and dull. This is the way to dim dim the eyes of your spiritual discernment till you can scarcely distinguish good from evil and stumble as you walk. So that's the tragedy of Lot, the unending series of compromises. But the hardest realizations are yet to come. The sun dawns and the Lord rains brimstone and fire upon the cities and all is lost. All is lost. All is lost. Every compromise he made earlier for wealth and health and fame now gloated over him. Everything was for vain. In seconds, he lost everything. But we might think, at least he has his family. But just a few seconds after that, and we see his wife turning around and dying there immediately. The compromising Christian loses whatever he hoped to gain. That's our fourth lesson. We see that Lot lost everything. You know, I read the the story... Uh, about a meeting in uh, 1928 when the world's most successful businessman had a meeting in New York present were the president of the largest utility company uh, at the time the greatest wheat speculator the future president of the New York Stock Exchange and in 25 years what happened to them the greatest wheat speculator Arthur Cotton died abroad insolvent. The president of the largest steel company lived on borrowed money in the final five years of his life. The president of the stock exchange served his term in prison. These men knew how to make money, but it was all for vain, and it somehow illustrates Lot's life. And the point I'm making now is not that every unbeliever or every compromising Christian will have a tragedy in his life. The point I'm making is that if you push God in the background uh, consistently, if you live a life for your desire and comfort, then at least before the great white throne, you will admit in tears that all was for vain. You may have gained the whole world, but you lost your soul to choose the word, is it really worth it? And this is the point, I think, where we would like to stop. Enough. The lesson is clear. Yes, uh, we now understand. We get it. We don't want to be worldly. But the hardest part uh, is before us. And God is like a perfect teacher who guides us meticulously through the errors. So he hopes that we won't repeat that. And so we read about the story of Lot and his daughters. And I think that's the hardest reading of this whole text. It's awful because the grievousness of the incest. It's also awful because it was a deliberate, planned uh, act on their part. And even if we sympathize with the daughters because they were lonely and single There is no excuse for making the father drunk and committing the incest, first and then again. And even when they name their their sons, the daughter's true nature is revealed. The firstborn is called Moab, which means a son from my father. The second is called Ben-Amai, which means the child of my relative. You see, the daughters of Lot don't master sin. They come out openly. They are not ashamed, but they are proud of what they did. So what does it teach us? And our fifth lesson is that you may be a compromising Christian, and if you are a Christian, the Lord will save you. But your family will pay a high price because your compromises. Because your worldliness. Because his worldly lifestyle, Lot couldn't influence anyone. His wife didn't heed his words and was lost. Her daughters didn't have a spark of faith and were lost. We don't know whether Lot tried to witness to people in Sodom, but there was not a single believer in the city. And the only heritage. Lot left is that he is the father of the Moabites and Ammonites who became the enemies of Israel. Could we imagine this at the point when Lot left Abraham and chose the well-watered plains? And that's the problem of worldliness. That's the deception of worldliness. It promises much, so much, but it delivers nothing. Like what God tells us in Galatians uh, 6 7. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the desires of the flesh, your inheritance will be momentary, worldly, and futile. And the question this text uh, asks us what is your heritage? What do your children, your spouse, your colleagues see in your life? What would they say? What is driving you? And if the answer is anything other than a clear reference to Jesus, that the love of Christ drives me, the love of Christ is evident in my life, then it's time for a reflection. Lest you lose them like Lot. So the final question Is there an alternative to Lot's life? And we might say, yes, Abraham. Abraham lived a better life than Lot. And this is true. But let me point uh, you to another greater example than Abraham, the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus is the antithesis of Lot. Just like Lot, the Lord Jesus died penniless. He didn't have anything. But the big difference between Lot and the Lord Jesus, that Lot lost everything, whereas Jesus sacrificed what he had. The Lord Jesus' life was not a wavering testimony, but a shouting cry that there is more in this life than food, drink, and money. To do the will of God was his joy. To enjoy God forever, that's worth everything. Yes, the Lord Jesus didn't lose his family, but by his deed, he regained his family. He cleansed his filthy bride and presents her spotless at his second coming. The Lord Jesus' life didn't end with sadness and regret, but with an overflowing joy, it is finished. I regained my bride. I sacrificed everything and it was worth. It, these are words of joy and accomplishment. And it is because this Lord Jesus that we are not hopeless. Yes, we need to consider our ways. We need to return our Heavenly Father. Yes, we may, there may be sins we need to admit. There, there may be sins we need to repent of. That you, can, you know the place where you can go. And you can heed to the words of the prodigal son and his father. In uh, Luke uh, 15, where we read, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. For this, my son, was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Yes, there is grace, even for the compromising Christian, even for the worldly Christian, even for the black-sided Christian. And the grace can be found at the cross of our Lord Jesus. So, if the word of God calls you to repent, well, come to Lord Jesus and find this amazing grace at his cross. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, how gracious we are. How thankful we are. How grateful we are. Because you gave your Son for us, for our sins. Oh, Lord, we see ourselves in Lot in so many ways. Oh, how many times we choose what the world could offer instead of what you call us to do. But, Lord, we are thankful that uh, it's not our love that saves us, but it is your love that saved us and will keep us till you come back. So Lord, we ask to give us clear vision so that we may see the ugliness of the sin of worldliness. So we may not compromise, but be faithful to your word. We ask you to give a burning heart for for our Lord Jesus that we may love him, we may follow him faithfully in all days of our life. I pray especially for this church, that you will build them up in faith and love and holiness, that they will be a clear testimony of your grace and beauty. That there is more in this life, what the word tells us, yes, there is more than money and pleasures and fame, your riches are much more pleasant and give a lasting joy. O oh Lord, make them faithful witnesses in this region. And please, your saints will find this church and be uh, blessed in this church. In our Savior's name we pray, please hear us. Amen.